This is Roof English Radio with Darenata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. This is Roof English Radio. Hello, I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company. At a very busy and nervous time here in Iceland, we have a double episode today. At the end of our show, we'll bring you a conversation I recorded with the author Sarah Thomas, the author of The Raven's Nest. Now, she's been on Roof English before. She has been back in the Westfjords, which is where she was when she had the experiences about which she has written in The Raven's Nest. And she's back in Reykjavik over the next couple of days with a couple of events which we will talk about. You can hear that conversation once we speak to my colleague here at Ruv Odder Thordesen about, of course, what is happening in Grindavik and across the Reykjanes Peninsula. Our conversation, Odder, taking place just before one o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. And as we sit here, no eruption yet. No eruption yet. I'm probably uh, one of the few people you can talk to right now. Since I work the foreign desk, I'm not as busy as all yes. all uh, yes. all our colleagues. So yes. um, yeah, no eruption yet. Uh, we're still in sort of uh, the any day now situation. Uh, we could see an eruption today, uh, tonight, um, come tomorrow morning, mm. or in three weeks' time. Nobody knows. There is a bit of puzzlement. When I speak to people abroad, as I have been doing over the last couple of days, a lot of radio stations and outlets are interested in this around the world. And and the sort of the unspoken question is, why hasn't it happened yet? You know, we thought it might have happened by now. Exactly. Now, you can't put an exact time on these things. No, nobody can. Not even the uh, experts. You know, they, yeah. uh, it's always been sort of the butt of the joke uh, about many of these experts that you they can say a lot of things, but they can never actually predict with any certainty when yeah. something will happen and of which degree it will happen, you know. And what's really interesting about all of this is that when we have less earthquake activity, as as we've seen in the last couple of days, that's been lessening, that can mean one of two completely different things. Mm -hmm. It can either mean that the magma is settling down and there won't be an eruption, mm -hmm. or it can mean that we're getting ready for an eruption. Yeah. And I don't actually remember how it was in the last three eruptions, whether or not we saw this period of inactivity before yeah. the actual eruption, because it's always been preceded by like uh, these big quakes, you know, in the yeah, days yeah. before. But I don't remember actually how it was in the past three eruptions. Whether I, we I, had think, this. I think the activity did die down. But, yeah. but obviously, as we said, the experts are saying that we, we can't, We'll be able to tell what it means once it happens, exactly, yeah. or or if it doesn't happen, because of course there not being an eruption is still one possible outcome here. Yeah, and and the thing is, people need to remember. I mean, we haven't had an eruption yet, but we've yeah. still seen, well, horrors beyond imagine for the people of Grindavik because they have had to evacuate their town and their homes might be in ruins, and who knows yes. if they'll be able to live in their hometown again. And that has maybe been underestimated here because in previous eruptions, or before previous eruptions, the earthquakes were not really significant, were they? No, well, not not in this degree, no. Not to this no, way. No. And, and the damage that has been done, if you imagine the damage that can be done by an earthquake, that's the sort of damage that we're seeing in, in exactly. Grindavik, with roads being, I would say, destroyed, but certainly yeah. uh, cracked b beyond current yeah. use. Split in half. Split in half, basically. Yeah. The, the the shots that our colleague uh, Ragnar Vizaj took from the and over the golf course mm -hmm. were, were absolutely striking as well. Um, so there is this sense, of course, that we must not forget that a lot of damage has already happened. Yeah to the people of Grindavik, and hopefully they can get back to their homes. Now, that's been happening on a very limited basis. They've been getting back for five minutes at a time. I mean, but what do you take from your house if you've got five minutes to pick exactly. essential items? Uh, there were some people that were just so 
distraught by the horrors that they had experienced thus yeah. far that when asked what are you packing which valuables are you taking and collecting uh, people said towels i just need my towels yeah. you know because people didn't fully grasp what they should do in that moment yes. they just said yeah towels i need towels to shower but are those necessarily all your valuables no. uh, so so people are definitely just frazzled and yes. and shocked still yes. Um, but it is important that people are getting back at least. And the good news is, I think I'm right in saying that all the animals have been accounted for mm -hmm. in the town. Yeah, I, I think there were 11 cats 11 still cats remaining. Yeah. Still remaining. Yeah. We are seeing on the cameras that we're monitoring here on Mount Thorbion, we've got cracks opening up mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been picked up quite clearly by the cameras. And the head of civil defence has said that the communications building is quite damaged by what's been happening, but the devices themselves on the mountain have withstood the tremors. Quite striking to see that. Though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, cracks still forming, you know, So, which puts, uh, you know, it into another perspective, the fact that people were being led into the uh, evacuated town yesterday and the day before to collect their valuables. Uh, the place is still obviously very dangerous. Mm. Uh, one of our reporters on out on the field yesterday, Arnold Björsson, uh, he just narrowly escaped like a crack forming uh, under some uh, yeah. field of grass. And he actually lost his phone because his phone fell into the then formed crack. So so it, it's obviously a, a, still a very dangerous place. Uh, yes. And it's almost quite shocking that people are being led into, into the town by police still. And under conditions which are very tightly yes. controlled, of course. Now, something else I thought was extraordinary from yesterday, these images that have emerged from 1957 mm -hmm. showing the crack that existed in the town and on which a very great deal of it was built, mm -hmm. opening and, uh, up again. And footage from Ragnar Visage yes. when laid over yes, show yes. that the cracks forming uh, this week are essentially in line with these mm. cracks shown mm. on the uh, images from 57. So... And I suppose Shocking. in 1957, if you're in a part of the world which has famously not erupted for 800 years mm -hmm. or 750 years, you would think that it was quite safe. Yeah, yeah, you would. And I mean, I've played golf numerous times at the uh, Glintavik Golf Course, and there yeah. are cracks all over the place. You know, in the in the uh, in the lava fields, you know, mm. in which the golf course, you know, lies in. Um, there are a number of cracks that you don't really necessarily think much of. And we've seen now images from the golf course showing that these cracks that had been there before are widening and becoming bigger. So you never really thought about it until just a couple of years ago. No, and everyone is certainly thinking about it now. The current state of play, then, as we say, at just, just about one o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday is that there has not been an eruption. You might, if you're listening outside of Iceland, have been led into the belief that there has been an eruption because uh, even some reputable broadcasters have been replaying footage of old eruptions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all over social media as well, uh, eruptions that have taken place in the past in Iceland, some even not in Iceland, mm -hmm. creating this impression to the casual viewer that oh, something has already happened, which, as we say, as of now, one o'clock in the afternoon, it hasn't happened. Yeah, this is really strange. As you say, reputable yeah. uh, new cars, uh, news broadcasters have been showing like old footage. Uh, really strange. But uh, we have plenty of good footage, Darren, as you and I will know, yes. that we are sharing with our partners in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, I've seen, uh, you know, working the foreign desk, that, mm -hmm. uh, that foreign newscasters in, in Europe are very, very, very interested in the story on yes. Grindavik. There are plenty of news teams, foreign news teams from the BBC, from Sky News, from 
the Norwegian uh, national broadcaster, and mm-hmm. uh, there are numerous, numerous uh, news teams working in Iceland today, all broadcasting live from uh, the Reykjanes Peninsula. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah, obviously I've got friends and family in the UK. I think you've still got friends there as well yeah. in, in various other countries. And I don't know about you, but I've been getting messages, we've been getting messages saying, we don't know the geography of Iceland, are you safe? Mm, exactly. And it's worth just underlining, isn't it, that although these terrible things are happening in Grindavik and in, in that part of the southwest, it's not having an impact beyond no. a very small area. No, I mean, Grindavik is only like a half an hour's drive away, 45 yeah. minutes. If you were to start walking to Grindavik now, you'd probably reach there by nightfall. Mm. So it, it's very close to the capital. But still, we are unscathed, really. Mm. I mean, mm. we, we noticed the quakes, yes. of course, but, yes. but still uh, our infrastructures, our houses and buildings, uh, they haven't taken any hits no and flights into the country and out of the country because again if you look at a map you'll see how close keplavik international airport is to all of this it's incredibly close to the area of concern but nothing again worth underlining nothing is happening that is causing any impact on flights and even if even if this does come up under the sea Mm -hmm. and causes an ash eruption it's not going to be anything like what we saw in 2010 when flights were cancelled for, for weeks on end. No, but still, this is so much closer to the international airport that we probably would see some disruption, at least uh, just after the eruption starts, if it erupts in the sea, which is considered not to be likely at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, just while uh, the civil defense is trying to figure out how dangerous and how big mm. uh, the eruption would then be, uh, I think international flight would be disrupted for at least the first few hours or the first few days. Yes, yes. What's, what's the best case scenario here then, do we think? Is it that there is no eruption at all or does that leave people in Grindavik when they presumably return with this hanging over them? Is it better that this erupts as far north as possible in the mountains in a limited way that we yeah. can see? And as soon as possible. And as soon that, as possible. that will erase the uncertainty that the Grindavik yes. residents feel today. If I were living in Grindavik now and had evacuated my hometown, uh, steps that I couldn't possibly imagine being in right now, I have no yeah, idea yeah. what these people are feeling. Um, I would probably hope that the eruption is, as you say, as far north as possible, away from the town, mm. and um, and as soon as possible to just eradicate all the uncertainty that these people are feeling right now. And I mean, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty mm. when they come back to their homes, if they are ever um, allowed into their homes again, because uh, their homes are, some of them are ruined, essentially. Uh, there are big cracks in mm. in uh, huge amounts of both new houses, infrastructure, residential homes, and... Uh, and people have taken out mortgages and loans for these houses. Do they have to pay still? Uh, mm. How mm. will the insurance cover this? There is so much uncertainty, not just will we get home, but what will happen when we get home? Yes, and to erase that uncertainty, as you say, if this does erupt as far north as possible, and as far away also in that context from Svartsengi, the power mm. station, and the Blue Lagoon, which is right next to it. Exactly. There is work taking place right now, isn't there, to protect certainly the power station, by building up these walls of dirt, essentially, walls of of earth, um, so that if lava does flow, that has a chance of stopping it. This work is uh, just beginning this afternoon, I think. And, uh, yeah, they're building this wall to protect, as they can, the the power plant nearby. And the Blue Lagoon is so close to the power plant that, uh, Mm. you know, it would not make sense to not include the Blue Lagoon in this defence wall that they're building. Yes, yes. And... 
when people hear that the Blue Lagoon, again, people who've not been to the country but know that the Blue Lagoon is worth visiting, when they hear that it's next to a power station, they sort of wrinkle their nose until, mm. <laughs> until they realise that what you're swimming in at the Blue Lagoon, incredibly, is the outflow from that power station. <laughs> yeah. It's hot water which has been cooled, it's had the electricity, or the, it's had the heat removed from it, turned into electricity, and the rest of it gets poured into this big yeah. lagoon. So the two places are inextricably linked. They're, they're dependent Definitely, on yeah. each other, at least the Blue Lagoon's dependent on the power station. Mm -hmm. It's closed at the moment, of course. You will see if you are... Um, coming into Reykjavik on the north side of the peninsula, which would be the road from the airport, the road signs, I thought this was really touching and really quite dist distressing, that the, the word Grindavik has been crossed out yeah. on the road signs. I, I don't know who did that, whether whether it was a civil defense or maybe mm. just some local residents, you know. It's been done to... quite neatly, I think. So, yeah, so maybe so, it has been civil defense. Yeah, probably. But yeah. I don't know what that means, though. Does it mean like the town is closed or evacuated or is it just like a I think symbolic it means, gesture? I think, I think it means as well that it's, it's not a destination you can access from the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah. the road is closed. But, it, but there's something very touching about the idea yeah. of, of even on a temporary basis, the town sort of being erased in that way. Mm -hmm. Crossed out. Crossed out, yeah. yeah. Which we hope, of course, is not a situation that persists for, for terribly long. Very much um, so. Well, you'll find the information, of course, on the website at ruv.is. You will find it in Icelandic, but also, of course, in English and in Polish. And we will continue to broadcast our programmes here on Ruv English Radio each day. We, uh, we, we might ch change the focus of some of the shows that we've got planned to try to bring you the very latest on this each day as we can. But just to underline that, as things stand this Tuesday afternoon, uh, no eruption yet. We continue to watch and wait and, of course, keep our fingers very much crossed. Odda Thordason, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, this is Roof English Radio. As I said at the start of the conversation, we want to now bring you a conversation that I had on Friday morning. It seems like a very long time ago, but I went to the domestic airport in Reykjavik to meet with Sarah Thomas, who is an author. She wrote a book called The Raven's Nest about her experiences and her life that she had in the Westfields of Iceland over a fairly lengthy period, and indeed the marriage that she had to an Icelandic man. The book was published in paperback earlier this year. We spoke to Sarah at that point. We'll put a link up to that show on the page that accompanies this show from Roof English Radio. But I caught up with Sarah on Friday. She was just back in the country and ready to fly back to her beloved Westfjords. Lovely to be here with you this beautiful morning. That uh, I'm super excited about my flight, actually. Well, yes, you are going back to the Westfjord. You're going on the 10.15 flight, I think, to Isafjord in about an hour from now. And that part of Iceland, of course, at the heart of the Raven's Nest, the book which we spoke about when it became available in paperback. I know you find it hard to do a quick synopsis of the book because it covers so many themes, but I invite you to try if you can. <laughs> Um, the Raven's Nest is an, what I call an ecological memoir. So it's a memoir of my uh, of a period of six years that I spent largely embedded in the West Fjords of Iceland uh, in a relationship with an Icelander and his extended family, which is an implication of, mm. of West Fjordian life. Um, but also the way in which the landscape and learning Icelandic changed my way of thinking. And I call it ecological memoir because it's written in such a way that everything relates to everything else. Um, and, and that's how I feel like we need to think about the world that we live in so that we understand the implications of our actions. And the title, The Raven's Nest, was inspired by an actual raven's nest that I encountered there at the, uh, the Bolongoic Natural History Museum. Mm. There was this incredible avian sculpture about a metre wide that contained all sorts of 
human and animal and vegetable detritus that, that weighed it down against strong winds. So it had you know, a rake, a sheep shoulder bo bone, uh, a knife handle, mm. fishing net, all of this stuff. And I just think this sort of multi-species vessel is a good metaphor for, for what yeah. a story should be. And I'm really excited that I think, it's almost 100% sure, we're going to manage to get the nest to my event on, on Saturday. Well, we're going to talk about that event. Yeah. But what I took from the title is the connection that ravens have to Norse mythology, of course, the two ravens that famously gather information. Mm -hmm. And I think what your book does, as well as being beautifully written in, in terms of its prose style, it it's also contains a lot of information about life in the Westfields. It conveys a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that style of like going and gathering yeah. is something that... In a way, that's all an immigrant can do, is you're gathering bits of information that you can pass from what you can observe and hear before you understand the language. The way you're taking in information is yeah. very different. Um, I, I sort of remember noticing the cadence of Icelandic before I understood yes. the words, you know, and, and all this kind of thing. So it's, it's a really different perspective than what an Icelander would have on their own culture. Yeah. Now, we should say we're having our conversation on Friday morning just before you fly back to Isafjörður. When's the last time you were in Iceland, the last time you in the Westfield? It was um, summer last year, was it? Yes, summer last year when the, when the book was published yeah. in hardback. I came here first to tour it. I, I wanted to take it to the places and people that had been in it before mm. doing events in the UK. And so I did an amazing little sort of, uh, not exactly Ovisafeth, but it, which is a lovely Icelandic word for an unknown journey where you head out and you sort of see what happens. It was, it was sort of, I knew loosely where I was going to go, yeah. but the events, some of them were quite pop-up events, and I did them in Rapsere, Isafjörður, um, on Flate, and gosh, I did five events, I can't remember where, but yes, I, I kind of wanted to carry it around. I even did one reading in a, in a hot spring okay. <laughs> for the people that were there. You know, it's just taking it really to the place. Yeah. And uh, that was such a magical journey. Uh, yeah. It couldn't have gone better. I mean, yeah. even we had um, this lovely instance at Trabzeri where I was trying to decide which chapter am I going to read for these people tonight. And I was drawn to the one about this uh, dream about a humpback whale. And as I walked up the track to Trabzeri, these humpback whales were jumping out of the fjord. It was just utterly magical. You literally couldn't have asked for better timing no. than that, could you? Now, we're having the conversation, as I say, on Friday morning. You have an event in the Westfjords over the course of the weekend. But by the time this conversation that we're having now is published, it will be after the weekend into the start of next week. So on Wednesday, um, at Eymundsson on Skolovodastigar, which is the, the road going up to Halkrimskirka. Mm. Um, I'm doing an event at 6.30pm uh, in conversation with Andris Nair Magnusson, who's very kindly going to chair the conversation. And Andri's been a really important writer for me for ever since my relationship with Iceland began, so I couldn't be more thrilled that it's him uh, in conversation. And we met recently in Scotland, where I live as well. Um, so that will be uh, sort of in conversation with Andre and audience questions and a bit of a reading. Okay, so that's Wednesday the 15th of uh, November. That's Wednesday the 15th of November at 6.30pm, Eamon's School of Odersigur. And the following morning at 11am at uh, Kjarvals, I will be part of Iceland Noir, the, the literature festival that's happening. And I'm on a panel there called Land of Ice and Fire. With Hillary Clinton or not? Not with Hillary Clinton, <laughs> no, but ably chaired by uh, Sverre Norland.
Yeah. Okay. So that's Wednesday and Thursday. That's the 15th and the 16th of November. We'll put links to both of those events up on the page that accompanies this program from Roof English Radio. But I can tell how excited you are this morning because you're about to be in the next couple of hours back in the Westfield. Yeah, I really like. I, I, my heart is already sort of on a yeah. on a string. You can I, almost hear it. Yes, <laughs> um, I, I am totally in love with the Westfields, and obviously, I'm going to be seeing dear friends. And uh, as I said, being reunited, hopefully, with this nest that's that's basically been my muse for the past decade, in, in a way. So mm-hmm. it was taken originally from the Natural History Museum to the Bollingwood Council offices because they loved the, the wordplay that it was a harapna thing, like a, mm-hmm. a, a council of ravens, um, and they very kindly agreed to let us uh, have it in the library, and the library will keep it for a while. Mm-hmm. So that feels very special. What response did you get when we, when we last, or around the time that we last spoke, when the book was published in paperback? Because obviously that, that tends to bring works to new audiences, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And I've, um, although I'd done a lot of touring with the hardback, um, so I gave it like a couple more little pushes. And I think actually um, what, what it was nice about it was I was beginning to get the return tide, where mm. like the word had spread a little bit. And, and uh I'm ashamed to say I wasn't actually on Instagram when the hardback came out, and but I, jo- I realised okay I need to I need to do this thing, and I think there's there's much more kind of conversation. You feel part of the community and people are writing in, so I, I do get a lot of actually um, private messages of, of profound ways that it's affected people, which is so rewarding. I mean, even one of those messages would make it worth worth yes. writing. Yes. Um, but I'm really touched about the way that people seem to hold it quite close. It's not something that's being spoken about like in a loud way it's it's a quiet book but it's really um touching people yeah and i know that you want to come back well, i think i'm right in saying that you want to come back to iceland on a more permanent basis at some point would there be room do you think i suppose it depends how your life pans out but would there be room for a sequel to this absolutely i mean life is ongoing isn't it and there's always i think writers are, are just profoundly curious about existence so there's going to be always something to write about and it wouldn't necessarily uh be about the same things but i think it's like a particular lens that i look at the world with that synthesizes a lot of different threads of different information which is what people respond to because life is messy but the writer's job is, is to take that mess and render it authentically, but for it not to feel like a mess. Yeah, and we should also just say that the various formats in which the book is now available, hardback, of course, paperback, but there's an audio book, I think I'm right in saying, and it's available electronically too. Yes, there is an audio book, and that's partly because um, I was very inspired by the tradition of reading aloud to the household yes. when I lived here, which my ex-father-in-law used to do a lot. And so I wrote the whole book consciously with reading aloud in mind. And so actually, to go back to your question about how I toured it, I was touring it, um, kind of taking the, the Icelandic tradition of Kvaldvaka around the UK and the whole of Europe. Like, I've, I've been doing readings around, like, five different countries, and it's gone down so well. So, like, people know that word now, and I feel really proud to leave that legacy. Um, so I, I read the audio book myself. I narrated it myself, and, yeah. How interesting that you wrote it with how it would sound in mind. I imagine that doesn't happen very often when a book is written. I mean, some creative writing classes will tell you, you know, like it's a good way to edit your work, to read it back to yourself, to hear how it sounds. Because I think in, in some ways words should land in our body rather than in our intellect only. It should land in the whole body. But yeah, this time it was very consciously that. And I really enjoyed the process because in a way it was like the mirror image of my process of learning Icelandic, of just hearing the sound of things without yes. knowing what they meant. And here I was starting with, well, how does it sound? And therefore, what influence or impact will it have? 
on the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lovely passage in your book about uh, Rouve, <laughs> for whom I work, of course, and the part that, the, the modest part maybe that we played in your learning of Icelandic, because you would have, I think, Rausette on mm -hmm. during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, so a constant gentle stream of Icelandic was making its way, perfectly enunciated, of course, mm -hmm. into your subconscious. Absolutely. But I remember noticing, because I was listening to it the whole day, I remember noticing this sort of constancy in the, in the tone that didn't seem to change between, I think I say in the book, like between the obituaries and the two-for-one leg of lamb offers. It all sounded, <laughs> it all sounded quite similar, you know. And, uh, but also what I deeply appreciate about the Icelandic sort of way of, of containedness in that tone is that there isn't this sort of sens sensationalising, for example, in the news to get you all het up. It's a steady thing, and I think that's present in, in the character. Of, of the nation as well. The book is The Raven's Nest, available in many different formats and styles, as we have discussed. Sarah, great to talk to you. Enjoy, I, I, I don't need to tell you to enjoy your trip to the Westfields because you're the most excited person. Yeah, I, and, and what, uh, what a view it's going to be this morning. The windsock was completely floppy, yeah. so all's good, and it's just a beautiful morning. We've got Venus next to the moon yeah. in the sky, and actually, as I landed last night, just as I got to my friend's house, the Aurora, yeah. Uh, came out. So, no, so welcome home is what you felt. Tack. Sure. Okay. Enjoy the Westfields. By the time you hear this conversation, of course, we'll be into the week when Sarah's two events in the capital will be taking place, and you can find links to those on the page that accompanies this show from Ruve English Radio. I'm Darren Adam, and you can get in touch with us anytime. We are English at ruv.is. There is more from Ruv English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Ruv English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Ruv.